We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Is Jimmy G better than Harrison Barnes? I am resigned. I'm resigned <laughs> to. I am resigned to thinking that he's just going to be like an Eli Manning, Joe Flacco type of quarterback, where you're like not not even Matt Ryan because Matt Ryan has that gear where he's like shit. He's the MVP. I don't consistent. think he gets there. Yeah, I don't think Jimmy G gets there just off one game, right? And it's like we're recording two minutes after the game, but I think he hits that. Flacco where it's like you just need him to get super hot and you'll you'll have a chance at a title, but you can't rely on it where I think if Kyle Shanahan and Matt Ryan had stayed on the same team, like they'd be they'd be really fucking good right now. I don't think you'd get that from Jimmy G. We are recording at five PM Sunday night. This has been an elite sports day. Um if you Amazing. take out local resort uh results. Uh we had a uh a great NBA game earlier. We got the conference finals coming up soon. NFL week one, dude, the smoke outside is just awful. Can you imagine playing a football game in this? I, that's why Tevin Coleman didn't play that much today. Like he had right. like maybe four or five carries. Um, well, he's got outside. a, he's got a condition was, I, yeah. I, I can't remember what it Sickle is. Cell. Yeah. He's, he's, um, he's high risk to, to lung and everything. Um, <laughs> but man, it's, I mean, if you're listening to this in the Bay Area, you know how bad it is right now. It's just, I went, um, I don't know, have you tried to go outside recently? Um, on Friday night, I, I was, I had a couple, I had a couple beers and I went outside for a smoke and it felt like for every cigarette I was smoking, I was smoking two or three. It was well, that you bad. Were, so. Yeah, it was, it was. You, you like put your hand on like the, uh, on like a windowsill and you pick your hand back up. It's completely dark. It's, it was crazy. I mean, we had this one day this week where we were, it was 9 p.m. Even though it was 9 a.m. Thought I had woken up in the middle of the night. It was crazy. Where it was uh, right outside. That was weird. Yeah. yeah. Is this, none of this is ideal, but this isn't a weather pod. Um. <laughs> the NFL, you know, kudos to the NFL. Not kudos. Actually, I don't know how to say it, but they just, uh, they don't care. It doesn't seem like they just, the Niners just went, went ahead and just played it. Like, what do you think? They said that if it's an AQI over 200, that they would have rescheduled the game. I highly doubt that they would have actually postponed the game. I think they would have just played through it knowing the NFL. Yeah, I mean, there's protocols in place with, um, what do you call it, with uh, air quality index. So 
they don't really have much of a say with that. With that said, uh, my big takeaway from NFL week one, and we're not going to spend the whole pot on the NFL, but it's, we have to touch on it. Um, it lo- they all look like teams who didn't play in the preseason, right? Like it's usually teams look um, disjointed in week one as it is, but with no preseason games whatsoever, I think it looked even worse. Yeah. Um, at the beginning, it wasn't too bad, but then you watch this. I think the Niners, Niners Cardinals games was one of the worst ones. You watch this game, the amount of dumb penalties. You see Kyler it took him about a half to warm up. Uh, the Niners look like they didn't even practice. I mean, I don't, I don't, it, they didn't tackle in preseason. So that made sense. Didn't look like they even knew what was going on on the field. The defense was Derek, fine. But the, Derek Carr with a good jawline at quarterback. Was he, was he just oh, checking geez. down left and right? Dinking um, and dunking there. Just, just I mean, it, it, to be fair, they had no receivers. Also, to be fair, he nearly ruined his best receiver's season. So he was scarred. He didn't get that. a single pass after that. No, Kittle didn't. Kittle was a decoy after that. By the way, he he's probably out for a few weeks, if not a month. Um, uh, I don't know, but it, it yeah, the the way they were calling plays that this is something we can make a Niner compare or a, a Warrior comparison on. There are a lot of Kerr and Shanahan similarities, and just the play calling, the little amount of trust in Jimmy, just reminds me so much of Kerr with specific things. Uh, <laughs> when you watch, uh, when you watch Kittle being decoyed, well, he is getting triple team to be fair. Um, and then you've got guys that are open, which, like, which I, to I be fair, they're missing their two star wide receivers. Yeah. Well, who knows if I any good, but like, to me, it's like, if the criticism comes where it's like, there's no good receiver, it's like, man, they're, they're tripling Kittle beat your man. It's not like you can lose every single time, you know, like there has to be at least one, pos- one play of possession where Kendrick Bourne is open. It's not like these guys are absolutely sandwiched or, or enveloped every single play. That's the stuff that I don't get right. Just because they don't have DeAndre Hopkins on their team, Sam, doesn't mean that these guys aren't fucking open. Yeah, and some of that falls on the quarterback, and some of that falls on the the play calling. I just yeah. I feel like every time I see check down to use check and McKinnon, it just reminds me of them like looking to get um, it to Sean Livingston on repeat instead of just trusting their guys to make plays. You know, it's like, well, this is what they're giving us, that sort of thing. Yeah, at some point, you just let let Jimmy hang in the pocket. Let him rip like a 20-yard post post pattern pass. Like, come on. At least the Raiders won, so there's that. Or maybe if we see it, um, we might not like it. So, I don't know. He was all over the place today. Terrible game. I'm not – I'm being a little facetious with the uh, with the jokes. Matt Saracen with the tan, stuff like that. He does um, have a nice tan. He does have a nice tan. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with Matt Saracen was he couldn't pass, so I guess there was that. But he could run. I don't know if Jim Jimmy Giano. I, I, I don't know if Saracen could run, but uh, he gutsy. He's wily. I mean, I mean the Jimmy, rustiness Jimmy's is wily. Too, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I watch too much. A little, little too much confidence. Too much wily. I watch Brady and Breeze. These guys look pretty bad today. Like they look rusty. So that's across the NFL. Maybe we give him another week or two, Sam. Maybe yeah, uh, it's probably gonna take a couple of weeks before those teams get normal. But yeah. this is an NBA podcast, so let's get to why the people are here, and that, of course, is these wild bubble playoffs. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you, I felt pretty confident the Clippers were gonna close them out today, <laughs> and just to see them not, I mean, it's. At a certain point, I have to probably just call it and be like the Clippers aren't who I thought they were. I thought they had the highest ceiling of any team, and they might have the highest ceiling of any team, but it does not feel like they'll reach said ceiling at any point. It, they look like a team who's never played together and is a little entitled based on their talent. And we're kind of at that point in the season where it's like, okay, maybe we just maybe this is just who they are. Yes. I I'm tr- I was trying to think of a comparison to a team that was like this, not in like a playing style, but mentality wise. And most teams, everybody's making the comparison that these are championships that are like this, right? But here's the thing: championship teams still know how to close. Like even when the Warriors were like this, they would close a game. Like they would win this series. They've be been up. there before, exactly. And here it's back to back games: Friday night and Sunday morning, where they were up fifteen to twenty each game and looked fantastic. And then I don't even know, like literally the same game happened twice. So are we not giving Denver enough credit here? Yeah. Is Nikola Jokic the best center in the league? Yes. Is Jamal Murray taking the lead? Maybe. 
Michael Jamal's not afraid. I, I'll say this. I do think uh, people underrate how good Denver is because they don't look the part. And I, I tweeted out this observation. A lot of a lot of the way people talk about Denver reminds me of the way that they used to talk about the well, – maybe they still talk about the Warriors, to be honest. Um, where, okay, Jokic does not look like a superstar, and he does have flaws, right? But people let his – lack of athleticism define him more than the good things he does, which is like, he's a generational passer, just generationally skilled, honestly. And it's just, it's just interesting because it's like a, um, it's, it's completely aesthetic. It's like, sometimes I just want people to say it, like, just be honest why you don't think he's that good. It's because the way he looks. Luka Doncic, they tried to punk – the Clippers tried to punk Luka Doncic in, in round one. You remember that? Remember Marcus yeah. Morris, uh, Patrick – they were all laughing at him. Beverly didn't play. But they were laughing at him. They're trying to go at him, trying to prove that he's quote-unquote soft, I guess. I, it's that kind of thing. They did that with Jeremy Lin. They did that with Dirk. You remember Dirk? You had yeah. LeBron laughing at him in the finals. All these guys that just don't look like they're tough. Now, there are times that they aren't, but there are times that any – like most NBA players aren't tough either. So I'm with you on this. Nikola Jokic doesn't look like he's tough. Jamal Murray is not screaming all the time. Like, can you imagine if Jamal Murray looked like Russ? Does anybody call Russ or Dame soft? Why is it that they call Steph soft versus someone like Russ or Dame? When you look at Russ, is he not one of the softest players in the league? Why is he yelling at Rondo's brother? He's the he's easiest player. Russ is the – and we'll talk exactly. about the Rockets – Russ is the easiest player to shake in the NBA among stars, among yes. known entities. Like I'm not, I'm not talking about shaking George Hill. George Hill's not a star, you know. Um, Russ is one of those guys who literally get the game tight, and you can break him, and he will just start trying to show how tough he is and completely screw his own team over. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a real thing with the Nuggets. Like Jokic, I don't know if Denver ever wins a title. It, Jokic is fascinating to me because, like, the defensive flaws are real. Like, he just can't switch. He can't do certain things on defense, so he's limited. So to win a title around him, you'd have to build a very special team to take away his uh, weaknesses. In some ways, I'm looking at, like, Draymond, Iguodala. Like, you want those type of players around him just because – you need players who can guard multiple positions at once almost to take away some of his shortcomings in space. But on the flip side, I'm willing to bet money. Jokic, a Jokic-led team will be top five in offense every year for the next decade. They've been for the last three years. Like, you put Jokic on a team and run it around him, they will be elite offensively. And there's value in that because there's only – Maybe Steph is the only other player you could say that about. Honestly, like LeBron doesn't bring that same level of result. LeBron's teams have been ranked lower offensively for years. Um, they also have a very high floor. But how many players are there? You're like, you build an offense around this guy, it's guaranteed top five. No. Okay, I mean, not Russell Westbrook. James Harden, interestingly enough, probably James Harden. Who, uh, who, or maybe who, D'Antoni. Who, yeah, maybe D'Antoni. Um that's a great point. Is he the best center in the league? I don't know. I mean, if I'm the Warriors, I would rather have Bam Adebayo or someone who's just better defensively because they don't need what he does. But, like, how many players can you build an offense, an elite offense around in the NBA? I think there's seven of them maybe, and he's one of them. Like, okay, him, Steph, LeBron – um Harden Harden for all the criticisms and believe me we're going to get to a hundred a Harden slander session very shortly on the spot um he does kind of guarantee your offenses in the upper tier for most of the year um KD healthy KD healthy KD probably maybe Dame yeah I I think the point is that you look at the name of those players that that you just threw out and right. most people are probably like, Nikola, you're fucking Jokic. I thought that, and this is, I'm looking at across the bubble playoffs. I thought that someone like Jokic couldn't stay on the floor. Same with right. Rudy Gobert. Just, just, just off of the fact that guys like Steph Curry are going to play on off the floor. But the NBA doesn't play that type of defense anymore. It's, I was a little bit shocked. Maybe that was a trend that I just didn't notice as much as I should have. But 
that's a trend that I realize more and more. And I'm looking at the NBA. If you're thinking about it from a Warriors perspective next year, I guess they're just going to double staff always, right? But there's mm-hmm. going to be a certain amount of drop coverage that a lot of these teams are forced to play just because of personnel. That I Well, mean, you can look at the East. It's the opposite. To... It's the opposite yeah. in the East. I mean, we haven't seen Jokic go up against a team like Boston or Toronto or Miami who uh, defensively profile more like the Warrior teams mm-hmm. who went to five straight finals. So it'll be interesting. But even with that said, because I'm sure Jokic would struggle to a degree against the um, switchy, wing-heavy teams who can potentially put him into space, um, he's still just too good. Like, So he's going to have struggles. He's also going to have games like Game 6 where you're like, Kawhi, you're the best wing defender in the league, probably. It, you just can't stop him because he's so mm. comfortable under pressure. Like he'll just take that little like turnaround fadeaway. So and I don't know why I'm reacting it's it. So like no ugly. one can watch it right now, but it's like, he's going to get that shot cleanly off whenever he wants. And he makes it enough that it's, it's a pain. Right. And then that, and then we throw in the fact that he's one of like the four or five best passers in the NBA and by far the best passing um, him and LeBron are the two best passing players who are not point guards period. And there's like a sizable margin between the two of them and the next few. Anthony Davis had this issue in the Rocket series with PJ Tucker a little bit where they're throwing him against against the post-ups a lot. And AD's not really a post-up type of player. Nikola Jokic is a post-up player. Like he is not like even Joel Embiid, where sometimes you're right. watching him, he's 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 driving and posting up to try to get fouled. Nikola Nikola Jokic is driving and posting up to score or pass. Like it's it's a little bit like similar to Steph, too, where it's like he could probably get fouled more, but he's not – I like it aesthetically. I like that he's not trying to get fouled. He just wants to score. That makes it more or, or like LeBron, more effective. Or like LeBron in the sense of – okay, they're, they're not the same caliber of player, but like LeBron, when he's mentally fully engaged, can absolutely beat you scoring or passing. So if you want to overplay a scoring, he'll take 15 assists. And if you're afraid he's going to – dissect you with his pass and so you just want to single cover him at some point he'll figure that out and just decide he's going to just start being more aggressive as score and in some capacity Jokic is like that where it's like he wants you to double team him because he can make passes very few players can make but if you're not going to at a certain point he's going to be like all right I'll just take you one-on-one with my weird post moves <laughs> they are really weird the other thing is Gary Harris coming back he didn't play um did he play against um he did. Who's who's the team? The first round series. Utah. He was actually huge first. Um, he was huge in uh, Game Seven. Yeah, he, but he didn't play. He like, worked his way best. back. It in went to series. seven. It went to seven. I think mostly because of that. Because he's. I mean, Gary Harris is not like a an amazing player, right? But he's like when you talk about a playoff player, like he's someone that can play. He played forty plus minutes today, like forty plus minutes. And he's they're a not good like, defender. He's a good defender. Exactly. He can hit open shots. Uh, he can cut. I mean, he can do a lot of things. Um, there's that Bob Myers quote that's been recirculating on social media again because the Bucks got eliminated. The playoffs are nothing like the regular season. They are two completely different sports. The way it's officiated, uh-huh. the, the way that he's playing 42 minutes uh, in the playoffs. I don't know what he averaged in the regular season when he was playing. So, so your bench is completely different yeah. in the regular season versus the playoffs. Uh, and you can prepare differently. Uh, you can prepare differently. Absolutely. You have more time. And you do prepare differently. <clears throat> yeah. Not only can you, you do. And you better believe Paul listening to Doc as his coach in a regular season back-to-back game, he's going in the locker room. He's like, all right, who am I got? You know, in the playoffs, <laughs> he knows exactly what he's doing. Right. And by the way, in the playoffs, his first move is gone. It's like a baseball player that they say, well, here's our scouting report. He cannot hit a curveball away. Mm-hmm. He's getting a curveball away every single pitch. So if they say, Paul, take away his right hand, right hand drive, and the pick and roll are going to blitz, whatever they know he does well is gone. Mm-hmm. So that's where you need to check as many boxes as you can. Even shooters. We played some great shooters in the playoffs and have neutralized them. Because if that's all you can do is shoot the three, then you're not, you're not necessarily the weapon that we sometimes make you out to be in the regular season. That two in, two feet of space you had in the regular season is two inches. And you watch mm-hmm. how many players cannot make a shot in the playoffs and shoot 42% in the regular season. It's not the same thing. So why does that matter? The more dimensions you have to your game, the harder you are to take away. Shoot the three. Get fouled. 
get to the free throw line, drive to the basket. Well, how am I going to call Paul? What, what should I have done against Paul Pierce? I'll let him shoot three. No. Um, let him go to the rim. No. Foul him. No. Um, keep him off the free throw. You, there, there's too many things he does. Left, right, whatever. Oh, and by the way, let's pick on him defensively. No. That's what makes a Hall of Fame player. So you want as many of those guys as you can. So we can't get too caught up in like, let's have four shooters. Okay, well, what if those guys can't do anything else, can't guard their right. position? So I think it's more than sometimes we make it out to be. And, and the people here, I assume, are basketball fans. You watch the playoffs, you'll know who can play basketball. That's when you evaluate players. Bob's talking about how the playoffs are nothing like the regular season, and they start exposing players' weaknesses. And Bob's point's pretty clear. He's, ta- he's sitting next to, to Paul Pierce, so he uses Paul Pierce as an example. But Paul Pierce, particularly by the time the big three got there, was a very complete player. Like, you can say he's not as good as Katie, and he's not. But, like, same type of player, can score from all three levels, can get to the free throw line, can go left, can go right, um, is comfortable shooting threes as much as he is comfortable posting up, and he can guard his position. And my big takeaway from the playoffs right now, we can actually touch on all the series right now, is, like, the versatility that gives you does matter. And it's funny, we're talking about Jokic, who lacks that perceived versatility, but we might have to put Jokic in his own category of outlier because he has the offensive versatility. He might not have the defensive versatility, but offensively, there's nothing you can do to stop Jokic. You want to make him a passer, he'll be a passer. You want to make him a scorer, he'll score on you. You want to make him shoot threes, he'll shoot threes. You want to post yeah. up, look, like he has no, there's no spot on the floor. He has an issue. And then on the flip side, three bigger name players who just had an embarrassing exit to the playoffs, future warrior Giannis, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, all three have huge holes in their games, and the playoffs exposed. <laughs> Where do we want to talk to all three? Yeah, about? which yeah, which one do we want to start at? Exactly, that's what I was going to say. Let's do Houston first, and then we'll get into Giannis. Yeah, okay. So we, we did Giannis pretty in depth on the premium pod, so maybe not as much. But Harden and Russ, some of the mis- some of the flaws are they're well known, right? I think the. The issue with well, let's flaws. talk through it. Let's talk through it for the people who haven't listened to us a hundred times over. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm gonna do Russ. You do you do Harden. Because to me, Russell Westbrook, and I'm gonna tie it back to the Warriors. When well, I got in trouble played, for calling him out last night on Twitter, by the way. What, what happened? I basically said the what longer the longer we get away from KD and OKC, the more you guys should start appreciating how much he carried that team. Ooh, and okay. People took that to me say Russ is a scrub. Oh, okay. Let me check. Okay. So we can start here. The Warriors coaching staff in 2016, when they beat, when they came back 3 1, their game plan was to get Russ as many shots as he wanted on offense and then attack him. No one draws up better shots for Russell Westbrook than Steve Kerr. <laughs> it's, it's all they wanted to do get Russ all the shots that he wants and then defensively attack Russ everybody thinks Russell Westbrook is this amazing defensive player because he's one of the greatest athletes in basketball history but he's also one of the dumbest defensive basketball players in history and that was what the Warriors did and he's it, just and he's just a pure athlete playing on instinct and at this level you need to be more than that yeah <laughs> And it gets worse when you don't have that, uh, when, you, when the instincts were never that good, and then the athleticism isn't the same, right? And so I think it worked for the Warriors because they had the smartest team, what, like since the Spurs probably? Uh, maybe they Very high IQ team. You usually don't get a Draymond, Iguodala, Just Bogut, Steph. Um, I mean, it's, we don't need to run through it. Everyone knows what they had. Because the first four games of that series, they got run over by athleticism, and then they slowly warmed down because of three-point shooting and really that the way they were able to attack that team. You fast-forward five years to Russell Westbrook on the Houston Rockets, and Sam, I don't see a difference. Like, I, I truly don't see a difference watching this team. He's still taking the same shots. Like, you would watch him in that series in the last two games I watched him. In the first half, he would be, he would be pretty solid. Like, no dumb threes. He's probing. He's getting good passes. And then he is good the third at probing. quarter. And then, but the, and then comes the third and the fourth, right? And all of a sudden, it all, it all falls apart. It all falls apart. And I think that's the type of patience. That's the type of like people talk about like point guard. People talk about like Chris Paul, the way that you run a team. 
you don't see that from those two players, either of them. And I'll let you touch on James Harden. You don't see that at all. Well, I want to stick on Russ. So here's something that people do not realize about Russ. Only 28 players have had a usage rate of over 25% in over 100 playoff games. So the, the list of players who've played over 100 playoff games is, is small, right? Like you have to be in the playoffs every year for a decade to top 100 games. To put into perspective, because I know you know advanced stats are what they are. They're not that exciting. 25% usage is basically around what clay averages so we're talking 20 point per game scores right like i'm not interested in Tarek fisher or steve kerr as a player like their stats i'm talking about like guys who teams are built around okay of those 28 players who've played over 100 games and average basically over 20 points russell westbrook is the second least efficient player as a scorer while having the second highest usage My point gets back to this. He can run over mediocre teams on pure athleticism. I'm talking about prime rust, by the way. But when you get to the big boy level of the conference finals, the finals, that sort of stuff, where you're going against a Dwayne Wade, you're going against a Clay Thompson, a Draymond Green, you're going against Tony Allen, you're going against guys who are legitimately up to that task. He's got weaknesses and they get exposed. He doesn't. He's never been a good enough shooter, but he wants to take the shot. The thing that makes Russ kind of sympathetic is like he has the heart. He wants to be that guy. He's just not good enough to be that guy. And he's never been good enough to be that guy. And that's okay. But it seems to me people never put into context how good KD was to carry him all those years. And that's not to say KD had, didn't have bad games. His game six against the Warriors in 2016 was probably the worst game I've ever seen him play, um, particularly down the stretch. They just I, got exposed. I, by the way, I, I'm going to go back a little bit. I even disagree on the hard stuff because I think a lot of people, a lot of people that, that feel bad for Russ or whatever, say like he plays hard, he tries really hard. Like people, he shows that he cares. I disagree. I think he doesn't care. You come out here, he comes out before he gets eliminated. He comes out in the postseason. Well, he's stubborn for sure. And that, that to me tells me you don't care, right? He comes out in the post game and says like, oh, did we play bad? And, and he kind of basically like just ignores what people are essentially saying. And, and the same stuff with Joe Ingles a few years ago. To me, it's like, if you really cared, you would actually try to get better, right? You would actually try there's to a, realize you're right. what Okay, I, I see what you're saying. You're saying there's no self-reflection. At no yeah. point is he going, No point. maybe I need to be better. Maybe I need to focus on learning how to play off ball. The shooting thing, I guess I'm sympathetic to the shooting thing because it's very well known how hard he works at that shot. And it just doesn't come. Like, I don't know what you do if a dude's willing to put up a thousand shots a day and he still can't make them. Right, right. Um, but at the same time, We've seen this rodeo over and over again. And my only point with the, uh, the tweet I was making is there's only like five players in the NBA in the last 25 years who you can count on to score 30 points a game efficiently, no matter who their teammate is. KD's one of them. And I don't think people gave credence to how much cover that gave Westbrook. Like you do not win games deep in the playoffs with your point guard going eight for 26 four times in a row, unless you are elite in every other aspect, including having a sniper next to you who's going to probably go 11 for 19. Yeah. Uh, that KD, that, that shooting, that shooting matters so much more than literally anything in basketball. And Offensively, I that, yeah. It just, it's, it goes to show you, like, you look at Steph Curry. I mean, our, where, I was going to say our guy Jason Tatum in Boston, his, his league. Oh. His leap is purely related to the fact that he's – I mean, he's not in the Steph Clay category. No one is. But, like, among big-time scorers, he might be, like, one of the four or five best shooters. It, it just – yeah, that that uh, relocate – or not relocate. That's um, pump fake side dribble shot, which right. is really only – you only shoot that if you're a real shooter. You notice that every time Marcus Smart does that, it's a fucking clank. Um, and so <laughs> – Marcus Smart, though, great everything else. Yeah. Um, but it, it matters so much more. And I, I think people discount that they look at, they look at balancing, you know, you look at a player, let's just say Steph and Russ, for example. Right. And you say, well, Steph is a greater shooter 
And then they'll say, well, Russ, Russ is, is better player. all around. Exactly. Which to me, it's like, even if it were true, which obviously we disagree with, but even if it was true, Steph is so like good at everything else that the shooting is just so far. Like that in itself, it should be weighted like two, three, four more times than let's say rebounding. And let's just, and, and just so we're clear, Russ is not just a, Steph is not just a better shooter. He's a better He's better at attacking. He's better at layups. He's better at the mid-range. Yep. He's better at threes, obviously. Um, he's smarter. He's significantly smarter. Yep. Who's going to carry out the coach's game plan better? Russ, who decides anytime someone makes a face at him, he has to show them who the man is. Or Steph, who will just kind of ignore it and stick to the game plan. You know, I think a lot about what Sam Vecini said on the last podcast. Um when I asked him about uh, Aiton or Wiseman, because I was just curious. Um, And he said, you know, Wiseman is better at carrying out the coach's game plan on defense. And that was really interesting to me, the way you word it. Because when I think about Steph, I don't think about Steph as some sort of elite defender. I think about Steph as a really smart player who's not going to decide to tr- he's going to stick to the game plan and trust that it's going to work over time. I mean, you and, and that stuff matters. I mean, when we're talking about Russell Westbrook, basketball. Russell Westbrook is Mr. Erratic where yep. if it gets tough, he's like, I got to make a play to show that it. I'm a hero. Yep. I think you've all, we've all played with guys like that. Russell Westbrook is like the true epitome of that type of player where he's going to do whatever he wants. If you're a coach, why even bother? Like, and that's why where it's like, if you look at Steve Kerr, who's probably one of the, one of the top, he's one of the better coaches in the NBA for sure. But but like coaches that just don't want to deal with that shit. I think coaches that are really good are mostly like that. I think Brad Stevens, Spo, right. You, you remember Spo and, and Pat Riley with LeBron, um, Nick Nurse. I, I don't at know least LeBron's that. worth it. At least LeBron's worth <laughs> trying <true>. to coach. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, those guys are just not going to take it, man. Like you talk about heat culture. That's one of my favorite things that are coming out of this, this postseason that I love is that you think do you think that Bam Adebayo is really going out of out of his way to do something that he like he thinks is like he's mostly just following the game plan and it's probably the right game plan which is to say like Mike D'Antoni good coach good coach probably a decent game plan but I guarantee you when people say like well fire Mike D'Antoni or like he fucked this up I disagree man I think D'Antoni's fine I just think what are you supposed to do coach Harden and Russ like how are you supposed to do that like people, I don't get it people seem to think that like Okay, so this one, this is interesting because what made Phil Jackson famous was his ability to get guys who have kind of that Russ mentality where essentially when things fall apart, they they go give in to their worst intuition, right? Like Jordan used to do that. Kobe's notorious for doing that. And Phil's thing was really like harnessing them. Um, one, I don't know if you can do that with Russ anymore. But two, the bigger thing with Russ I often see is like, Man, Kobe was one of the best mid-range shooters. Like he could, he didn't have a skill weakness. Russ also has a skill weakness at this point, right? Like you could harness him, but he's still not going to hit that shot at a proficiency you need him to. Yeah. Um, we're going to get to James Harden. Let me do a couple reads. All right, so Sunday is back. We're recording as the Cowboys and the Rams are playing. Sam, I need the Rams to lose after the Niners debacle. Uh, they are back. Sundays are back. With NFL Sunday TV. you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every afternoon, every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channel. So you will never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL Sunday TV is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFL Sunday TV today. Use your promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, we got one more. We got DoorDash. Uh, so you've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they are still open for delivery. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. So you can op- you can just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Or... You can do some of your favorite local restaurants. Uh, They're up for delivery as well. So you can just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on the way. So right now, 
our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. There's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with all right the wait is finally over football is back we finished one week you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible game to win the season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else you can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on wins divisions and championship futures all day every day uh, head to Ben Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline8.ag. That is promo code BLUEWIRE. All one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Damn, I just saw... Sam, I just saw Alden Smith on my, on my TV screen. He's a starting DN for the Cowboys. It's insane. What year are we in? What year are we in? What year are we in? Yeah, I know. All right, let's, um, let's move over forward to our guy, James Harden. So I have a second Bob Myers clip, just to be clear. Both of these clips are from um, the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference in 2016. Um, Bob, this one was talking to Daryl Morey about what do you do if your best player doesn't work hard enough? If your best player doesn't exemplify that, your work ethic, how do you instill it in the rest of the team? Is it possible? Why are we saying about, about my guy? Well, because <laughs> you have a guy that's going to be the MVP again you, So you're year. saying if he doesn't exemplify, the question was if he doesn't exemplify a good right. work it's ethic? Right, it's hypothetical. We know right. that Steph okay, does. So, so. so if someone in your team doesn't exemplify, then you've got to trade that guy. Okay. Or, or your best player don't even bring him into your world. building. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if your best, Good if answer. the most important person in your organization, player-wise, doesn't work hard, well, let's yeah, try that, someone else. That is the right question. It's like compared to what? So, like, let's say you didn't get Golden State, you got to take over, pick another team that didn't have Steph Curry. Right. Sure. So. And, and you don't have a best player, right? That, like, what do you? What? Well, if your best player on your team isn't, then you, I guess, you try to bring in somebody that. Is better that is yeah, a there, hard there aren't thirty of them. Right. <laughs> this one cracks me up. We'll uh, we'll tweet out the full like YouTube clip if you want to watch the full hour long thing with our podcast episode. And I, I would encourage you to because it's it's a great conversation. But it's funny. We're five years, four years removed from that, five years removed from that, and we're still dealing with James Harden, one of the most talented players of the last thirty years throwing up all over himself in the playoffs. Why? Because he doesn't have the level of dedication. To me, what Bob said was a little ballsy. Okay, if 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 your best player doesn't have enough heart, trade him. Easy to say because you trade him and you might be fired before whatever you trade him for becomes good again, right? I agree with that. Um, and I think that's what Daryl Morey's point was, which wasn't unfair, although the defensiveness of it does make the whole clip funny to me. But James Harden, man, I think he bothers me more than Russ in this scenario because James Harden is skilled enough. Yes, but, okay. But his issue is not skill. His issue is somehow he gained 20 pounds in the bubble. Am I wrong here? He looked skinnier in the first bubble games they did at the end of it. Um. <laughs> What and eating in there. What are they? Tillman for tea? I mean, I, just, I guess the uh, the Grand Destino has just great quesadillas or something. I don't know, but uh, you know, more power to him. Anyway, uh, secondarily, we're talking about not having weaknesses in that Bob Myers clip from earlier that we played. You know what Harden's biggest weakness is? He won't take a mid range shot. Now, I'm not telling him he should hunt that shot, but like. They're giving it to you, and I know you're good enough to make it. I've seen you make that shot. Yeah. Like the the way they guard the step back, he would hit the mid range at fifty percent because oh, yeah. as soon as he splits the double, it's open, it's cash, and he won't do it. All right, and all of this, all of this points to for me, it's all mental with him. Okay, wow. Okay, so we got a lot to dissect here. We're thirty minutes in. We spent about fifteen on Russ, and this is huge because. Okay, so you you can go mental. I'll do this. I think it's a structural issue with everyone on that on that in that organization. I think Daryl Morey he's defensive about it because his thought process is I stay 
like kind of like the Giants, right? The SF Giants are fine as ID. I stay safe. I stay mid-tier. And then we get a shot. We trade for a superstar. They got a shot. They traded for James Harden, right? They snapped him up and he became an MVP. I think if you're Daryl Moore, you're like, well, this is kind of my legacy. Like, this is what I've done. This is what, what I'm known for. And I think it's hard if you're Daryl Morey to layer on top of that uh, the mental side, which he's not already not good at. I remember some of the Jeremy Lin stories and the Dwight Howard stories. He was already bad at that stuff, just really kind of connecting with people emotionally, which we know that Bob Myers is amazing in, right? I mean, in and both so- of the clips we played, Bob sounds like he's going to cry. Bob's just an elite crier. I'm sorry. I I don't want to make jokes about the KD Achilles press conference, but it's it's, um, just emotion. You know, I wouldn't want to date, you know, I wouldn't want to date Bob Myers. Bob just knows how to cry on you when you need it. He's, he's, um, and I, yeah, the KD one, I can't stop thinking about it. Um, but Daryl Morey's not like that, right? Again, it's like you kind of – you can't just trade James Harden. It's like what's Daryl Morey going to do if he trades James Harden? He's going to be back and be a 45-win team. So, to me, it's like – so you 45. got a guy uh, – yeah. So, there's a guy that that he's not going to tell James Harden what to do. He has this, like, process, this math-ish thing process that he's going to adhere to no matter what. Then he brings in Mike D'Antoni, um, who I think would probably be fine with the mid-range. But then the thing about it, I think, with we're going to coincide with what you were trying to say is – James Harden himself is, he's fine with it. Like he's completely fine with it because he does it for 80 plus games every single year. Um, And there's nobody that's telling him no. Like you talk about LeBron James who nobody tells him no, but I think LeBron will probably realize that, okay, if they're giving me these like 12 foot fadeaways, I'm crushing all of these and I'm winning a championship. Well, the other thing with LeBron is he's stubborn. By the way, most people are stubborn. Most elite players are. superstars, yeah. But when he loses – he tries to learn from his mistakes. That's the difference. You would think Harden losing the same way for a decade would try to lose from learn it from his mistakes. You would think the first time, remember the first time he played why the we, Warriors. Why are we being so pro loved- LeBron here? Yeah, we got, yeah. we got to get some slander mixed in later. We will. We will. Uh, he went, what, like eight turnovers, like eight, nine turnovers in a game five loss, a, a series loss. Remember that against the Warriors way back. This is like 14, 15. Um, and, and everyone was making fun of James and saying like, Oh, you know, he, he's, he's not a big time player. He, he doesn't show up in the, uh, in the postseason. And we're like, ah, you know, it's the first time you fast forward again, like Russell Westbrook to 2020. And we're seeing the exact same body language, the exact same where Sam, you got Russ on one side who's down 15 and he's still screaming at someone's like baby. And then you got James Harden on one side who's down 15 in a postseason fight for his career, like he's 31 now, and he's just chilling. He's just chill. He can't wait to go back to – he can't wait to go back home. He just doesn't – like, do you think James Harden cares? Do you think he's going back and talking to his boys and saying, like, he's oh, already I'm going to work He's already at Dreams in Houston. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, or he's in Cabo, right? Or he's in, like, Bora Bora. Like he One, two, three, Cancun. Yeah, doesn't care. It's two, two separate mindsets, but similar in that they just – neither of them are changing. Yeah, I agree with you. By the way, you um, make a great point about uh, James Harden, the guys. I remember you, I think you tweeted about, well, it's Chris, it's not just if it's Chris Paul, then it's Chris Paul's fault. He's gone. If it's Dwight Howard. Well, he's gone. Right. <laughs> then you've got all these guys that are coming and going to Houston every single year. And they seem to blame the guys that are leaving at a certain point. It's. Yeah, he said they're one player away. And I'm like, yeah, dude, replacing you with a real superstar. Um. Anyway, enough Houston slander. They've got they've got what they deserve. Um, let's move forward. I, I got a question for you because we don't need to go through everything because right now the Clippers and Nuggets, we don't know who's going to win. I still suspect the Clippers are going to win because yeah. Kawhi is the best player in the series. But it's who knows? It's it's tenuous. Um, what are the big things you've learned from the playoffs? If you're looking at the Warriors next year, what have you learned from the playoffs and how you want to attack the offseason? I want to know where are we playing these games because I'm watching <laughs> where are we playing these games? Are we playing these games at chase? Are there fans? I don't care about when we're playing it. Are there fans? Because if we're doing a bubble next season, which who knows if we're doing a bubble next season, I'm watching Michael Porter jr. Now he's a shooter, make big threes in crunch time as a rookie. I'm watching Jamal Murray make shots like he Steph Curry. What happens when the real Steph Curry walks into the bubble? 
and he's shooting 48% from They're three. not playing. I would put all my money on right. them not playing in a bubble. You not could, for that long, The, right? the bubble tunnel, the, the tournament's already wearing on dudes. Think about yeah. a seven-month bubble. No chance. But I am curious to see kind of like – you got to get fans at it at some points because it, it does feel kind of gimmicky in that aspect. I found it extremely entertaining, but that's the big one. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I feel like you may, but it's like the numbers have got to be much higher in terms of shooting uh, in this playoffs because I'm watching some of these guys shoot and I'm like, well, there is no fucking big, chance you're making the big these thing, on the road. The big thing I've noticed is um, it helps the officiating. Um, helps them in the, in the sense of they don't um, – they don't have crowd noise affecting them, so they can hear everything. So if you if a defender gets up on a shooter, it's a foul every time. So what happens? They don't get up on shooters the way they normally do. And these guys are too good, particularly like the high-end guys. Hmm. Like we know, like if you're not going to borderline foul Claire stuff, <laughs> it's in, right? So, uh, and, and you were using Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr.'s examples, and they're great shooters. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, like, yeah. if they get the if, – if Steph and Clay get the treatment where they get, like, that much space at all times, it's, it's over. Whoa. Okay, I have, I have another um, takeaway. I am very excited to watch the NBA Finals because, it, to me, it feels like it's going to be a superstar team. I think it's probably going to be LeBron and AD. Either West, either West team. Either I LA West team is a super, superstar team. But not team. Denver. Yeah, but not yeah. Denver, right? But we don't think it's going to be Denver. Uh, so let's say it's just the LA team. So it's a superstar team. I think you're, you know where I'm going with this. Versus a wing-heavy team. Strength in numbers. Yeah. I'm curious to see how that's going to go. Because I don't think that you can rely on Tyler Hero or Kelly Olynyk in LA in an NBA Finals game. But I think they might be all right in Orlando in a bubble where there's no fans. So I don't know who it helps. It probably helps both teams. But I'd be very curious to see what a strength and numbers team does versus a let's just put this team together on the fly, but we've got the best players on the court. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is, like, I think Tatum's on his way to superstardom. Yeah. And um, but, but, but he's not there yet. He's not LeBron. He's not Kawhi, you know? And uh, in Miami's case, I love Tyler Hero. I think he's going to be an all-star. Jimmy's obviously a proven all-star. Uh, Bam. Did Bam make all-star this year? He, I think did. he did. Yeah. He did. Bam's going to be a, a perennial like Draymond. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, maybe a little better, but like that type of like, you know, kind of just a winning player. Um, but they don't feel like they have the high-end upside of those yep. other teams just yet. So – Although, although if they were to win, though, like it would be this type of environment, I think, for someone like Miami. Yeah. Also, I mean, if we want to take it back to the Warriors, I don't think people took the Warriors seriously until they won. You know, actually, I know for a fact. I take that back. I'm not saying I don't think. I know. So, like, if this is the year Boston gets over, Tatum mania is going through the roof. You know. That, so all it takes is that one push through the next thing, you know, he's the next Kobe, he's the next whatever. Right. So I don't know. I'm still with you. I think an LA team has to be a prohibitive favorite. Um, the Lakers, I hate how good they look. I don't want to, I don't want to give them credit. So what is your takeaway? What is your bubble playoff takeaway? What, what, what are some of your big ones? Um, chemistry matters. I think more in the bubble than we give it credit for because you're really isolated there. Part of Denver's um, positivity here is like those dudes like each other. They play together in a way they don't quit. The Lakers obviously have great chemistry. Boston has great chemistry. Miami has great chemistry. I think that stuff matters. I don't know if it matters as much in a re- – it, it, okay, it always matters, but I don't know that it matters as much in a regular one as a bubble one. The bubble – is prime for you to kind of be pulled apart like we saw Houston. Just throw it right back to I guess we never even talked about Daniel House, but I don't really care about that. I think the chemistry stuff with the Warriors is is something to look look ahead of. I think somebody I've talked about Draymond Green being Draymond Stephen Clay. Actually Steph said it on a podcast where they were they had been talking pretty much every day about getting ready for next season. And I think a lot of the times when you're on Twitter you think well, there's all this Draymond clutch stuff that's going on, right? And 
it feels like maybe there's some type of chasm between Steph and Draymond. But I think most people like that don't follow Twitter every day. They don't realize those guys are best friends, uh, Steph and Draymond. So I think those guys are truly ready to play next season. So when you talk, talk about chemistry, if there's some like weird, if there's some weird bubble thing that happens next season with the NBA schedule, I think that does favor the Warriors too, because I think that is something where it does. They've genuinely always liked each other when Katie isn't there. Um, so it's been, uh, so it'll be, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, again. Oh, we did. We spent, we spent 40 plus minutes. We haven't talked about uh, any TPE options. It's been a good podcast. Been a, this, this <laughs> Don't is worry. We got 40 yet. more of them before we get there. <laughs> oh, um, let's see. Where are we going with this? Okay. So Giannis, let's move this forward. Now let's get into some free agency stuff. Giannis. Met with Bucks management. Your thoughts. <laughs> All right, let me pull up the quotes just so we um, so we don't mess this up. Okay, I got it up right now. Uh, from Chris Haynes, who's been all over everything. Uh, last year's MVP and Defensive Player of the Year met quietly with co-owner Mark Lazary, sources say. Meeting came the same day. Giannis unfollowed hundreds on Twitter and Instagram, including Bucks team account and teammates. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. So first of all, it meets quietly. What does that even mean? That doesn't make any sense. That means <laughs> it wasn't publicized, but then it got publicized. Right. And did they meet because the ownership found out on Twitter that he started unfollowing people? Or was that before? This is, a, this is the question. First? Did he, did he unfollow before or after the meeting? Mm-hmm. Like, well, what's, what's that stuff about? Sam has been on the record as vehemently about, like, saying that he doesn't think he thinks he signs the Supermax. And there's genuine, genuine tension here, uh, which I agree with. I don't even know how much tension there is, but it's, I think this is what we know about Giannis. I think he's serious about winning. He's and, not James Harden? <laughs> uh, no, he is not. And I think he understands if he wants to leverage the Bucks into improving the roster, it has to happen now, or he has to leave. My personal opinion is he leaves. I don't know if it happens this year or next year, but I really don't think the Bucks get it done. Because how? Because how? The last sentence of that Chris Haynes piece says, Rival teams are closely monitored. Yeah, they are. Closely. <laughs> I, I, I must have read it somewhere else because what I meant to say was like, uh, it's going to be a busy offseason for the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'm reading that, and I'm like, how? What can they possibly do? Oh, we're going to trade Eric Bledsoe. Who wants Eric Bledsoe? Who? You trade him to the Knicks? I, I just I don't see a way, a path towards getting better in a way that makes sense. I guess Chris So here's, Paul, here's the thing. They can get Chris Paul, I but I think they're going to have to give up picks. And are they willing to give up picks if Giannis doesn't sign? And I think if they don't, Giannis can put in a trade request. I do not take Giannis's quote that he won't. He's not a. He doesn't. He's not going to request a trade seriously. Yeah. Is basically what I'm getting at. He put that out there right after they lost. Emotions are high. He may not ask for a trade, but I don't think that quote means anything. We've seen way too many players say something similar, and then a month and a half goes by, and they're like, you know what? This isn't going to work, so let's just pull the Band-Aid. Yep. Yep. I mean, the guy just lost after he had won another MVP. And with a team that he's been with since he's been in the NBA, with guys that he's been with forever, like, of course, that's what he's going to say. If that's not what he says, well, then, well then, yeah, he's probably gone next month, right? But um, I, I just – to go back a little bit, I don't see how they can get better if they have to trade picks – if they trade picks, they have to say, Giannis, are you staying? You have to sign this. Giannis is going to say, most likely, I'm not going to sign this. Then how do you trade the picks? Because now you put yourself in a hole unless you win a championship. So then it'd be Chris Paul and Giannis winning a championship or screwed for the next five years because those guys are gone and you don't have picks to get better. And by the way, Chris Paul's 35. He had a very healthy year, but the previous four, he's not been healthy. I don't know, man. It's tough to, tough to see that. Tough to see that happening. I don't know if that means he comes to the Warriors. If Giannis requests a trade, all 30 teams are contacting him. But 
I, I don't I wouldn't envy to be in the Bucks position. It doesn't look good. No. Because if it's not Chris Paul, I don't even know where they go. Like they get Russell Westbrook, he might request a trade immediately. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had no reaction. I'm just like, um, you didn't see camera. that one coming, did you? Oh, no, I did not. That was good. <laughs> you might just be out of there. I mean, that comes back to I mean, everybody talks about the Brogdon stuff. That comes back to I think a lot of people they always talk about, you know, the Supermax came about because a small market like they the owners wind about being a small market right they said hey yeah. we don't have enough blah 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 i think for the milwaukee bucks even if brogdon and and the team didn't necessarily like each other or he wanted a bigger role it's something where it's like well you sign them and then you figure out the rest it's not like the bucks ownership is actually broke um and so it's one of those things where it's like if he does request a trade because you don't have enough talent you kind of deserve it <laughs> you that's just something you kind of if, if steph curry god forbid request a trade because Joe Lacob fucks up and drafts three more smileys. It's like, can you really be that angry at him? Um, it's just, it is what it is, but Steph's not going anywhere. I don't know why I brought that up. That was, yeah, that's, that's, that's heresy. Don't do that. Um, all right. We got some, we got some discord questions. Uh, let's do these and then we'll get out of here from our guy. Option zero. The in-market bubble is actually starting the process next week. What do you want to see here from the players? And which of you is covering? For fun, what would you do if you were in the bubble at Chase? There's a couple more, but let's start there. What do we want to hear from these bubble playoffs? I know what we're going to hear. We're going to hear that Pascal's three-point shot looks better. That Marquise Chris's three-point shot looks better. Just everyone's three-point shot looks better. Then the games are going to start and be like, hey, still can't shoot. Basco's still shooting 25% from three. Now, is Steph, Clay, Wiggins, and Draymond? But is the core four, let me ask you this, Sam, is the core four going to be there? The assumption is they are. So let's go from there. Um, I guess w- the first thing I want to hear about is how Clay looks. I think Clay's fully healthy. It seems yeah. he's fine. I would just like to see a little footage and feel good about, you know, because he's he's gonna, we we also got a report the season won't start before Christmas, and a lot of people think February. If we're talking January, February, we're talking Clay having an eighteen month layoff. Now, one that's good for the knee, but two, there's just going to be rust to be shaken. You talk about rust watching football right now. I mean, my God, Steph and these guys are not going to have played basketball for two years, competitive basketball in the NBA for two years. Like it's a long that, time. Now they played five straight years of more basketball than I think anybody since the the MJ Bulls. But I, two years off is, is more than what MJ took off. And MJ was right. playing professional baseball. <laughs> These guys, Steph has been, you know, he's been drinking wine with his wife and kids, or with his wife and and kids are there. Uh, this whole this whole <laughs> you, don't think, you don't think Riley's having a nice cap? I don't think so. Not yet. Not yet. Bronny though, maybe he's old enough, so LeBron's probably doing that. But. Um, yeah, I, honestly, man, I just want to watch these guys. When was the last time we watched the Warriors play basketball? Like, I would watch, I would watch a Steph, I would watch a Warriors scrimmage where Kai Bowman is the starting point guard right now. I would watch him play. I would watch him run a pick and roll with Marquise Chris and watch Lowry Market and you know just look completely lost on defense. Like, I, I, I beg for that right now. That, that's good TV uh, for us. So we're getting as yawn as Sam's yawning. Yeah, no, I mean you're, you're right. The other, the other things is I'm curious how their players look. We're we're getting little teasers of Jordan Poole, um, Eric Pascal, and all them working out. So um, it's I, just going to be interesting. At this here's point. what I want to hear. Here's also what I want to hear. I want to hear more. I want to hear more of Steve Kerr's thoughts on Andrew Wiggins. I want to hear what all the coaches have to say about Andrew Wiggins, the players. Draymond Green, who's usually the most honest, because this core four stuff, yes, it's a joke. It's pretty funny. But behind the scenes, the Warriors are trying to cut cap space. They're trying to cut salary. Part of that is luxury tax. And who are they going to cut? I mean, there's Kevon Looney that you can cut, but who else? It's really only Andrew Wiggins. So it feels like they are toeing the line. Is it just ownership that kind of wants to flip the guy because they want to save some money? 
do the coaches and players actually really like Andrew Wiggins? It seems like our timeline loves Andrew Wiggins. The Pasco Siakam talk was pretty funny. So oh, I mean, that was hilarious. Good. Mentioning <laughs> trading Wiggins in a pick for Siakam got a lot of people upset. Can you outline what Pasco Siakam would look like with Draymond, Stephen Clay? It would just be absolutely incredible. Indeed. Um, now, I want to move to the next question. We'll save that for another time. Um, okay. Best case scenario from P. P. Feldstein, best case offseason scenario, assuming the Warriors go financially conservative as possible. Presumably, this is a worst case scenario where we don't use the TPE, maybe trade back. So sense of a realistic outcome. This is actually a good question because it ties into your previous one. I think your best case, if the Warriors aren't going to use everything financially, is trading back, picking up some future assets, and using that to make moves down the line. In other words, we're not going to get the perfect roster going into next year, but they're going to have all these moves. They're going to have all these, sorry, they're going to have all these tools for when Philly implodes, when Giannis acts out, when Minnesota implodes and Cat wants out, and et cetera, et cetera. I'm just throwing out names of players we think probably won't sign their next extension. I think our best case is like a trade back with the Knicks, maybe get Mitchell Robinson in a pick. Been talked about. I mean, that would be a lot. If the Knicks are willing to give up a future first, their number eight pick and Mitchell Robinson for the two, I think you got to do it immediately. You're not going to get better than that. That's three. What if, what if, what if it's a what if it's a, a a late not a future pick but a future like Dallas? They have Dallas's first round pick. You're talking about like some said like the 23 pick or yeah. something that's going to profile. I think I still do it because Mitchell yeah. Robinson's good, man. Yeah. I mean, you're just okay. you're, you're adding. I, I mean, assuming you think Mitchell Robinson can be that elite rim protector, he looks I'm, the part of. It's better than Smiley and Chris, so. <laughs> I mean, he is. Wow. I mean, it's, Standard, it's a free- standards are high here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, shit. Like, he's played some shitty. I mean, he doesn't play. He's on a shitty team. But yeah. Yeah. No, so that, that, those are best case scenarios to me. Like, you just added a center who could start. You also might get the player you wanted at two at number eight anyway. And you're going to get this Probably. extra pick, which I'm not saying you need three picks in next year's draft, but it's nice to have a pick to attach for a trade at some point, too. Yep. You know, like, the Houston Rockets traded a first round pick for uh, Covington. They didn't trade a lottery pick for Covington. They just traded a pick. And um, that's the type of thing the Warriors could potentially do. They could attach a late first with someone to get a rotation piece down the line. So those, so picking up extra picks would be helpful in that capacity. So what, so like a two-step scenario would be, which they would rather do is probably trade the two. Let's say go back down with the Knicks who probably want Melo, um, get a Mitchell Robinson in the late future first, draft who they probably have, Devin Vassell or Patrick Williams or Sadiq Bey, higher than anyone that they want at two anyway, right? Right. Um, they don't want to um, take those guys at two. Unless what? somebody wants someone at two, right? Unless like the Wizards want two for some reason or somebody wants two in a big trade. Although I don't know why you would want Bradley Beal. I just don't like that move. But and then use that pick and attach it and get Josh Richardson into the TPE. Like I think that's probably what is best case scenario for the Warriors. That's if they want to spend the money, which we still don't know. I do agree. I mean, I can't think of a better scenario than trading back with the Knicks, getting a pick, turning that plus a TPE into uh, Josh Richardson. All of a sudden, you get the player you want, and you didn't have to give up any of your good picks. And you get Patrick Williams, who you said is the next Kawhi Leonard. So where, oh, where did I say? Fail? Did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where could it all go wrong? Where could it go wrong? Come on. Where could it go wrong? Oh God, this is where this podcast goes all the time. Um, let's see. Is there anything? I think else? we have one more. Do we have one more? Um, oh my goodness. Are you guys seriously at the stage where you'd rather have Wiggins as a second option over 2017 MVP Westbrook? Yes. What's Westbrook going to do other than ruin the offense? Let's end the podcast here. Do you think? Do you think Andrew Wiggins could play in these bubble playoffs as a fourth option? Yes. How would he look? How would he look? Because I know you're going to say yes, but how would he look? Um. Well, he's a third option on the Warriors, so there's oh, yeah, I that. Thought, I thought Jordan Poole was the third. Sure, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um. I don't know. I'm just really excited to see him with the core, I guess is what I come down to. Like there's, there's not much else to say at this point. We haven't seen four, him. Four, I, core four, Sam. 
I just want to see what he looks like with uh, Stephen Clay. Like, okay, let's put it this way. If Wiggins can't be more productive next to those players, he's done. Done for a turn. Like, he's not going to get a better scenario to be productive than this. Other than that, he's just going to be waiting out the contract and then become a vet minimum player and have a resurgence like Jeff Green. Yeah, I think he's going to be good. Here, I think he'll be good. I think he was (laughs) – Jesus, man. Jeff Green did look good in the bubble, uh, to be fair. Um, he, yeah, he looked good in the, in the one game that he played with stuff against the Raptors defense. That was very good. Um, as we saw in, in the postseason. So you throw clay in there and it's not like it's, he's not a high usage guy. Clay's not someone that's going to hold the ball all day. I think it is in that way, a, a dream fit. Um, the question is defensively, but that's why we're excited to see that, that bubble, um, that bubble little, the lead eight, that's what they call it. So. Uh, we'll be excited to see that when it happens in the next season when it comes, I think. Next June. Next June. So, Yeah, 2022. Let's go. Okay. We'll be back next week. <laughs>